the Todd Stansbury Podcast from RamblinWreck.com. This is the official podcast of Georgia Tech Athletic Director Todd Stansbury as he gives you an inside look at what's happening around Yellow Jacket Athletics. Now, alongside Tech Athletic Director Todd Stansbury, here's the voice of the Yellow Jackets, Andy Demetros. And we welcome you in. Glad you found us. Happy holidays, Yellow Jackets. This is the newest edition of the Toddcast with Athletic Director Todd Stansberry. I'm Andrew Demetra. If you're new, welcome. If you've listened to us before, welcome back. This is where we check in with the Athletic Director for your Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, Todd Stansberry. And as seems to have been the case for the last year, Todd, a lot of issues and a lot of ground to cover. So uh, we'll dive right into it. How are things, though? Everything's good. Everything's good. Um, you know, it's obviously been a pretty challenging year, and I think, um, uh, as I've said before, there's been no roadmap. We're creating the roadmap as we go. Yeah. I, I, you know, th- this is the holiday time where, where typically you as an athletic director and, and a lot of folks in athletics would have time to breathe, but I imagine that's gone out the window as well. It certainly has. <laughs> you just never know what's around the next corner. Well, let's start with uh, the big news of the week with football, and that was National Signing Day. And, of course, recruiting does not stop even in a global pandemic. What would you make of uh, the Georgia Tech signing class, which was uh, officially unveiled on Wednesday? Yeah, uh, really excited about this class. Um, very similar to last year's, which of course was the the best recruiting class we've had in football. Um, I think since 2007, uh, this class is going to look a lot like that. It's another ranked class um, if you include um, the the five transfers we have coming in as well. But um, a number of four stars, and and when you when you line it up against um, our history, it's uh, uh, probably would would be um, a top three or four class in the last twenty years. Since March, there's been a dead period. Georgia Tech and all schools they they can't conduct in-home visits. They can't conduct official on-campus visits. What have the coaches kind of relayed to you across all your sports about the challenges of recruiting and, and what's it taking now to still continue to stack together quality classes? Yeah, I know. I think it's a real tribute to, uh, to Jeff and his staff, but uh, pretty challenging when, when uh, students aren't able to make campus visits and, and uh, coaches aren't able to do home visits and, and you're recruiting over Zoom and, and trying to uh, obviously communicate the the kind of program you are, the kind of coach you are, the opportunity that Georgia Tech presents uh, to these, you know, what, 17, 18-year-olds. Um, but at the end of the day, incredibly challenging not to have that in-person uh, contact. And uh, and so uh, real tribute to what our coaches have been able to do um, in signing such a, a highly ranked class. You know, the ability to connect with a student-athlete via Zoom is going to be a huge skill now. Yeah, no, yeah. it's um, it's it's frightening to think that um, uh, across the country, this whole class of um, of uh, of recruits have literally um, uh, had their recruiting done via Zoom. I mean, I, I I can't fathom it. I mean, if I if I you know was deciding on my colleges but could never step foot on those campuses. You know, it just shows you got to trust those relationships, I suppose, that uh, that you develop with your coaches and believe in the best future for yourself at Georgia Tech. With a signing class, you got five transfers uh, who are all originally from, with the exception of, of Keon White, from the Atlanta area. Do you think the transfer market can be 
a really strong niche for Georgia Tech moving forward? Well, I think it's definitely going to play a role for everybody. But um, I think that uh, the fact, uh, because of our location, we're surrounded by incredible talent. Um, sometimes, uh, uh, you know, people in general think that I, I want to move away from home or I want to, or, or the grass may look greener somewhere else or they, and, and they get somewhere else and they decide that, you know what, this isn't a good fit for me. And the good news is, is that because we're recruiting all these kids out of high school, um, they know us and they may not choose us on the, uh, on the first go round. But if things don't work out, we're because of uh, Jeff, his staff, what we stand for, the nature of the institute and our location, um, I think more and more you're going to see um, uh, kids from Atlanta um, uh, want to come home, and we're obviously um, a, a great option for them. Yeah, this would seem we're a school with a huge population center like Georgia Tech here in Atlanta that a school like Georgia Tech could stand to benefit from the transfer market more so than, than other schools. I, I don't know if you feel the same way about that, but I, I, and I have nothing really empirical to back that up, but it's just this feeling that I get that Georgia Tech is in a really good position to be a, a force on the transfer market because of fertile recruiting territory they're already in. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, for these kids, this is home. Yeah. And um, and I think ultimately that's going to play a, a role. And um, I think because of the, the the Georgia Tech brand, what it means, um, you know, obviously it's an international brand, but it's pretty strong here at home as well. And and I think that our coaches uh, are doing such a great job. You know that even those kids that that we may not have gotten. We were on the radar. We were on the list. They were. They they've interacted with our coaches um, in normal times. They will have been to a number of our games um, um, on a, unofficial visits. Mm -hmm. uh, so I I agree. I think that um, it definitely uh, that that we're going to benefit from the fact that in in some cases, um, student athletes uh, from Atlanta are, are going to want to come home. Well, recruiting season never stops. Unfortunately, regular seasons do, and, and Georgia Tech's 2020 season came to an end on that Thursday night at Bobby Dodd versus Pittsburgh. You had to cancel the scheduled finale at Miami, which was set for tomorrow. Uh, this is a season, Todd, that you will remember always for a multitude of reasons, but uh, what did you take away from this 2020 season and what you saw on the field? I think well, one. Um, I, I think our our student athletes did a remarkable job in an in an incredibly difficult uh, situation. Um, we knew uh, going in that that this was going to be a transition, um, uh, and um, and it was going to take uh, some back-to-back uh, -back recruiting classes, um, learning new systems. Um, and so it was a transit. <laughs> it was going to be a challenge to transition um, uh, to a new system. Anyways, you overlay um, the circumstances regarding COVID. You don't really have a spring football practice, so that um, as as you're trying to get your players um, more uh, familiar with what you're going to be running, uh, that doesn't happen. Um, then you're reshuffling the way that you practice in general just because of 
um, COVID and contact tracing and trying not to have as much contact as possible, um, knowing that the risks that are presented with that. Um, so, I, I mean, as I look at uh, how we played and how we navigated um, some of the COVID issues that we had and, and then, quite frankly, how our competition had. We, you know, we were postponing games. And so nothing was um, uh, normal. And, uh, and, and I think that as we got to the end of the season and, and um, uh, we had some injury issues, some COVID issues, some contact tracing issues, um, it was remarkable. I mean, heck, you, got, uh, you know, when you look out there at NC State, you got a nickelback playing uh, D, D end. Um, kind of tells you that, uh, that it's all hands on deck and it's a next man stand up type program. And ultimately, that's what they did. Yeah, Charlie Thomas was the one who had to move <laughs> up to defensive. 210 pound defensive end. That wouldn't have looked out of place in the 60s, but in 2020, slightly different. Uh, you made the decision eight days out to cancel the Miami game. Why, why that call so early? I think a couple of things that we, we had already been on. We played uh, three games in 13 days. We were on fumes. The NC State game, I mean, uh, almost didn't happen because um, we, we uh, with a uh, couple of positives, um, we were close to not having enough players. Of course, you, we talked about um, having to move a, a defensive back to defensive end and and um, and and playing three three freshmen at the end and and um, and uh, being lean everywhere else uh, as well. Uh, so after three games in thirteen days, some injuries um, and, um, and 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 a couple of other COVID issues with contact tracing, it was becoming pretty apparent that we that um, the Miami game was was very questionable. Uh, and whether um, our medical staff could attest that we'd be in a position to play. Um, and, uh, and so the other part of that was uh, if we weren't going to be able to play, uh, Miami's game the next day uh, would be their senior's last game at home. And so um, huddled up with uh, coaches and our medical staff to trying to identify um, was it going to be possible to play or not. Um, it, uh, it didn't seem like it was going to be possible, and I did not want to wait um, until Miami, North Carolina, to let the Miami um, players specifically know that that was their last home game. Uh, reaction to the players, coaches, when you had to deliver that news? I know nobody wants to see their season end prematurely. Yeah, I think uh, – you know, it's um, it's tough to to end a season like that, um, but I think at the end of the day, when um, you look at your roster and uh, um, you're not sure whether you're going to be able to fill out certain positions, that you then are putting your your student athletes in um, in, in a in a situation where I think health and welfare mm -hmm. come into play, and that's kind of where we got. So I think. It, yeah, there's disappointment, but I think there's also a realization that um, uh, quite literally we may not have been able to field a team um, mm -hmm. uh, uh, against Miami. So football finishes the season playing three games in 13 days. Prior to that, they had four weeks off with a couple of postponements and the bye week. If we sat at this table middle of the summer and I told you, 
of the 11 games scheduled, Georgia Tech would play 10 of them. You get all of your home games in. As an athletic director, would you have taken that? Uh, uh, yeah, I would have taken that uh, right to the bank because I know where we sat early September, we were just hoping to get the season started, mm-hmm. not knowing where that journey was going to take us. And so for us, and as a league, um, for us to complete the number of games that we completed as a league and move games around and postpone games uh, and uh, had to substitute opponents uh, and for us to be able to navigate through that and end up uh, where we did, um, it's, it's pretty remarkable. When you even think from, from our standpoint, um, uh, a couple of postponements, uh, at least two games where literally um, one, hours before the game, we decide we can play. Um, and another one, we're running out on the field and are told, hey, wait, we may have a problem and th- fortunately got to play. So, I mean, every game was, um, w- was a miracle just to get the kickoff. Um, and so, uh, yeah, for us to complete, get, get 10 games in, our home season in, it's, it's, uh, uh, I, would, I would not have um, seen that where we were standing at the beginning of September. I think we'd be remiss if we didn't salute the Georgia Tech medical staff for helping manage the testing and the tracing and all that went into making sure the the football program, and and we're not just making this exclusive to football, but all the teams that are in competition right now can get to game day. What they had to do and the discipline that it took from them day upon day upon day um, there are so many people behind the scenes who did such hard work. So yeah, no, um, you think uh, three tests a week. Um, when you looked at, uh, I'd go in to get checked in for my tests, and I might see uh, uh, somebody from academics or sports information or you know some other unit checking people in because mm-hmm. sports medicine is already uh, uh, pretty much tapped out in in in, in uh, bandwidth just doing the testing and and taking care of our student athletes and getting them healthy and all those kinds of things and so it was definitely a ha- all hands on deck operation now we talked about recruiting at the top of the show and Georgia Tech putting the f- first finishing touches on this 2021 signing class because they do still have the the February national signing day period but uh, since 2019 Seven different teams at Tech have signed top 25 classes, not just football, but you have both men's and women's basketball, baseball, softball, men's tennis, and women's tennis. That has to be very exciting to you as an athletic director and, and confirm kind of your vision for, for this athletic department when you took over. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, as I came back and obviously uh, as when I was um, – you know, just an alum looking at this program from afar, I just felt that we weren't we weren't um, taking advantage of the Georgia Tech brand, that we we're almost undervaluing it. And so it's always been my, um, you know, when I first got here, my focus was we got to elevate the brand. We got to turn up the volume on, on what Georgia Tech is, what it stands for, where we're located, what makes it special, and, and why can't we be one of those uh, national brands. And so um, we, uh, we've been focused on that, and I think we're now seeing the, the dividends where 
Um, you know, now it's not one team or two teams or three teams, but now we're seeing, um, you know, at this point, half of our teams have all had top 25 recruiting uh, or uh, recruiting classes um, over the last, um, you know, at this point, I guess, year and a half, two years. Uh, men's basketball, the number 17 class in the country. And I mean that, you know, we uh, Jeff kind of, got things rolling um, and, and making the splash he made last year. But if you look at um, all these programs are, uh, are, are, are leveraging the Georgia Tech brand, um, our location, what we stand for, what the Institute stands for, and the, the opportunity it presents young people um, uh, now to our advantage. And I think that that's going to continue and only, only get better. Well, you had mentioned uh, Josh Pastor's recruiting class number 17 in the nation. Let's talk about this year's Georgia Tech team. Obviously stumbled a bit out of the gates with those first two home games that then made the statement at State Farm Arena. Five games into the, the men's basketball season and two games this weekend versus Florida A&M and Delaware State. Your thoughts so far on, uh, on what you've seen from Yellow Jacket basketball? You know, obviously a slow start, but I attribute that, um, you know, really to the, the restrictions that were placed on us early um, because of COVID. Um, we kind of came out of the gate and, and um, through contact tracing had to shut it down. And so I think Josh got really um, uh, cautious uh, in, um, in the way he practiced and we weren't we weren't um, going five on five, and and um, I know he was hoping that um, with an older team uh, they would be able to handle it. But it was pretty obvious that um, that was not the defense um, that that Josh Passner teams um, typically look like. And so um, you see what happened. He started practicing five on five, got back to the normal routine or as normal as possible within reason, I guess. Um, and uh, had had uh, the the win against Kentucky, Nebraska, and and um, yeah, I don't think people realize. Well, one, Florida State's the defending ACC champion from last year, um, have been good, are good, and um, and at home they're you know for the last what two or three years um, they're not, they're they're not, they're unbeatable, but we went down early, and then you saw that kind of what we saw last last year where we had claw our way back into it and, and not and and it's not like the shots were falling we just grinded our way back mm-hmm. into that and then um at the at the end of the game um they were able to drop shots that we weren't and it kind of got away with away from it us at the end but really really proud at you know we were down early what 17 points i believe at 16, one, 16 mm-hmm. points and then and then we went on a 14 nothing run um, and, and really made it a game where it went back and forth. And, you know, at the end of those games, it's who's going to sink them when you need them, and they did and we didn't. Uh, let's talk women's basketball. And, man, a 2 and those start and two really impressive wins to begin ACC play, but uh, unfortunately had to make the tough but necessary decision to, to put the team on pause uh, due to COVID. Yeah, I mean, it's just... This is the, the, this is the world in which we're working right now, but... Um, yeah, uh, got out of the gate fast. Uh, uh, one, a signature win against Notre Dame uh, last week. First time we've ever we've ever beaten them. Um, so they're you know two and zero in conference, four and one overall. Had just met with coach, uh, um, looking great, 
And uh, less than 30 minutes later, um, we're having to pause the program because of, um, you know, positive COVID tests. So um, tough. I mean, that's the stop, the start, the how do we practice? Um, how do you balance um, practicing hard with um, uh, trying to stay uh uh, safe from COVID, and and unfortunately, that's how all of our coaches are having to manage right now. Um, but feel really, really good about this team. Uh, Nell's done a phenomenal job. Uh, it's kind of a, a, a Kiara Fletcher hasn't even played yet this year. Our, our team captain and leader um, due to a high ankle sprain. So this team is gonna has the ability to be do something very, very special this year. And of course, we're going to have to take a little bit of a pause um, and kind of see how that goes. But uh, uh, really excited about um, what our women's basketball team, one, the direction, obviously, that Nell's taken it in a very, very um, uh, uh, short order. Um, but what they could possibly do this year. Yeah, Lodemar Lawton and ACC Player of the Week had 23 points per game in those ACC wins. You also got Loyal McQueen, ACC Freshman of the Week. So blend of the veterans and the newcomers um, when it comes to reordering a schedule how much of that whether it's basketball or football how much of that Todd is is a collaborative process between the school and the league how much of that is strictly the league schedule makers saying no nope, this is how we're going to reshuffle things no well obviously for um, in conference the league plays a huge role because there's so many moving parts and and uh, you may have multiple schools that can't play, but two schools that aren't scheduled to play that could play. And so, yeah. you know, they're, they're, they're playing matchmaker and they have all that information. Obviously, if it's uh, an out-of-conference where we can't play for whatever reason, then it, then it really falls to, you know, the institution and the coaches to try and play matchmaker. But it definitely... Um, uh, it, we rely on the on the conference and and really our peers because we're all kind of in the same boat and and uh, as I've said before, um, everybody's got to be incredibly flexible and pivot when you need to pivot. So the ACC doesn't like explicitly seek your input, but you you kind of provide some feedback on, on well, availability or things like that. No, what they'll do is they'll get us all on a conference call, and that's the just. That's the cr well. That's the crazy thing is um, one team could affect six teams, because mm -hmm. especially in basketball you're playing twice a week. So, um, you know, you, you you can't just pull two teams out of the out of the machine and it's only going to affect two teams. So, you'll get six ads on the call and and these are our options and what do y'all think and and as we saw in football with some of the substitutions that were made late in the season just so that we could get games in and that sort of thing um everybody hey we're all in the same boat and what do we got to do to make this thing work and and um uh but it is definitely a, a collaborative affair that doesn't sound like a fun conference call <laughs> <laughs> Well, and and the thing is, we're in a in a an environment where you're almost throwing out level playing field and 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 um, fairness in scheduling because you just want to get the games you just got to get the games in right yeah. and so um, and so that uh, as an AD and as a coach, that's a sacrifice you're having to make because the substitution isn't always going to be in your favor, um, and um, and the substitution may not be in your favor and it may not be your fault it's because something else has happened in the league but 
um, knowing what we're dealing with and, and, um, everybody's in the, you know, kind of in the same boat trying to manage through it. It's just something that you have to put off to the side, um, and, um, and, and really, uh, do what's best for, for the, for the league as a whole. I know you've got some questions about attendance in McCamish. Um, and so let's, let's tackle a few of those, if you don't mind, because this is our first podcast that we've recorded since it was announced the capacity would be limited to 1,200 fans in McCamish. First off, why 1,200? How do you arrive at that number? Yeah, really, the, the that number comes from just what we could do to, to um, uh, take the direction of the CDC, social distancing guidelines, um, those types of things. When you overlay kind of their direction, um, that was a number that we came up with. Um, and so that was, a, and then we had to make the decision, okay, how do we make it the safest environment that we could, that we could. And also, um, we talked a little bit about, um, or I talked a little bit earlier about, um, uh, the mental health of the student athletes, um, having to man- manage through all of this, um, and, and, um, and, and that it is a tough situation. Well, our students are in the same boat, um, for other reasons, but also some of them similar with, with class and doing everything by zoom and not, you know, and everything they do is, is not what they would normally do. And so this was also an opportunity for us to provide our students with some semblance of, um, a normal, uh, college experience. And so we decided that to make a majority of our, uh, 1200 seats available to students help, you know, maintain somewhat of that campus bubble. And then we took Callaway, which is, um, you know, which is partitioned off from the rest of the seating and really, uh, saved those seats, um, uh, for um for 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 some of our donors um that that wish to con- uh, that wish to come to games but uh you know it was all really uh, the 1200 CDC guidelines how do we make it as safe as possible um how do we um keep um some uh uh, uh distance between uh kind of the outside world and the campus world and that's how we came up with that in that configuration what about baseball and softball? I know those seasons are coming up sooner than later. Have you made decisions yet on uh, capacity both for Mewborn and for Russ Chandler? We really haven't, but um, obviously being outdoors um, uh, will definitely create, you know, an easier environment to work in. Um, and so, and I think that we're going to also learn more um, through the basketball season, um, uh, and, and, and just how that's managed. So, uh, while we haven't come up yet with, the, you know, with any, uh, set guidelines, protocols, uh, we're looking to our public health officials. Um, they're learning things every day. Um, and then of course the vaccine and how quickly that may, um, uh, become part of the equation or not. I know that we're, we're definitely, um, not counting on it being, but we'll just have to wait and see. I was going to ask you because that news is still fresh with the vaccines getting ready to be, to be distributed. Have you worked on contingency plans to pivot from your attendance models once uh, the vaccine becomes more mass distributed? I think everything that we do is going to give us the ability to, um, potentially, um, start with a you know a pretty restricted 
capacity and as things, um, as uh, direction from the CDC changes, uh, give us the ability to, you know, um, relax that um, as, um, as it becomes possible. But I think as we look to the fall, um, we'll go into football renewals in the anticipation that we'll be in a, a somewhat normal environment. So we will be planning for, um, you know, uh, uh, capacity that is uh, some, somewhere in what we would normally expect. Um, but similar to what we did last year, if things change, also be able to dial that down if necessary. Well, that was news that was cheered far and wide, and I'm sure in athletic directors' offices everywhere. Well, let's talk about a, a new partnership that's coming into effect for Georgia Tech beginning next year. Of course, this one uh, maybe affects my side of the table as much as it affects yours <laughs> because it's our new collegiate sports marketing partnership with Legends. Georgia Tech has been associated with IMG and his previous iteration, ISP, for going on 20 years. So what makes Legends in the partnership uh, one that you feel best equips Georgia Tech for the future? Well, I think um, there, there's a couple of things, but um, the, the first is, um, is Legends themselves. Um, as many people know, it's, uh, it started as a joint venture between the New York Yankees and the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, and over the, you know, over the years, um, uh, has uh, expanded their expertise into different areas, um, whether it's um, uh, premium ticketing, uh, hospitality, uh, and, and now they, they're moving into multimedia rights. And this was an opportunity for us to really combine all of our revenue streams uh, with one partner and, um, and, and, and really look at how do we integrate uh, everything that we're doing, whether it's licensing, whether it's um, whether it's um, tickets, hospitality, uh, corporate partnerships, um, what we do with radio and TV, um, how do we use all of our assets and and um, be able to uh, uh, leverage them uh, uh, the best we can? This does actually come out. It, it is kind of similar to the pro model um, when you look at how the pro teams um, uh, uh, manage their assets it's you, it's under one roof and of course this is where these guys came from right the the, the, the pro world I think the other thing is that there is when you look at legends and the associations that they have and and um, they are focused on managing the brand, uh, monetizing the brand um, to its maximum capacity, and and the fact that they're, you know, um, they were uh, basically born out of the Yankees and the Cowboys, probably two of the the biggest brands in pro sports. But when you uh, they're they're partners in the collegiate space, Ohio State, Notre Dame, uh, Southern Cal, Wisconsin. Um, Notre Dame, what they're doing there with their stadium, Oklahoma, what they've done with their stadium as far as being part of the expansion and the um, and the development of new premium space, which, as everybody knows, we've been sold out in premium space at Bobby Dodd forever. That's not our problem. Our problem is we don't have enough of it, 
and this is a partner that will be able to analyze, help us analyze Bobby Dodd, where are the opportunities, um, what uh, do we put in loges, do we put in new suites, do we put in uh, another club, and so we just finished a master plan for Bobby Dodd um, prior to COVID, and so having them on board to be able to uh, work with us through that to identify what do we do with Bobby Dodd in in um, in increasing uh, our our capacity in in our premium areas, knowing that we've got a market for it, and as we come out of COVID, um, being able to maximize our revenue streams is going to be incredibly important, and there's not a bigger uh, lever to pull than Bobby Dodd Stadium. Yeah, so this is a wide-ranging partnership. The, the multimedia marketing component is one aspect of it, and that's certainly my side with radio and television. Uh, tell us more about the, the project planning consultancy component of this partnership with Legends and how that's going to benefit Georgia Tech fans. Well, that's the, um, the interesting thing is that um, we, uh, we had uh, embarked on a, uh, a master plan for Bobby Dodd um, a year ago. And uh, we uh, we used HNTB, which is a, a is a, a sports architecture firm. Uh, done uh, Levi Stadium and just great, you know, huge projects at both the pro, uh, pro and the collegiate level. And um, and as we got close to um, finishing that, they actually proposed that we bring legends in to do the 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 financial modeling. Uh, to determine, you know, what pieces of this project would pay for themselves. Where could we maximize revenue? Where where the where is the market? If you're going to build a loge, how big does that loge need to be? And so now having them as our partners, um, we'll be able to just continue on with that process. Uh, but instead of it being a a one-off deal it will actually be part of this integrated um, uh, approach that we're, we're moving into with all of our revenue streams. And so it sounds like they're going to be really instrumental in helping with the post-COVID financial recovery, just with the ideas that they bring to the table and, and the ways that they can identify to, to, to monetize and optimize the whole operation and, and fan experience at Bobby Dodd is what you're saying. And the other thing I didn't mention is because uh, I think most everybody knows that we um, swapped out our tur- uh, our, um, our our turf for artif- our, our natural turf for artificial turf with the idea of being able to do more um, outside events. And uh, obviously, that's a lever that we can pull. We've we have a history of concerts and that sort of thing, and and so. Prior to COVID, that had been an area that we thought, you know what, that's where we can really help ourselves. Atlanta is a great market for concerts and outside events like that. Well, another part of Legends is Live Nation. Mm. So not, that, that's another area, this partnership that we'll be able to leverage because now all of a sudden um, through Legends, um, uh, we're connected to Live Nation as well. So... Um, yeah, there's uh, and timing is everything. Uh, there's not, uh, there's no time where this is going to be more critical in our ability to maximize our revenue streams, as it is right now. Um, as we come out of um, uh, the COVID nineteen crisis, which has created financial pressures on every athletic department in the country, um, of which we're obviously not immune. So. 
having a, um, a partner with Legends that can help us and work with us on that uh, post-COVID strategic plan uh, is going to be incredibly important. If you could sit in the front row of any concert, what would it be? I'm delving into your Spotify playlist just a little bit here, but I'm curious. Yeah, well, I don't know that they're going to put the animals back together, but um, I would say uh, Aerosmith. Okay. I would say Aerosmith. Aerosmith yeah. is good. Yeah, no, it's... That's, that's a solid pick. Yeah. I'm assuming you've seen them in concert before. Yeah, I saw them uh, at the Super Bowl. Okay. Um, they were here for the Super Bowl when we hosted here, and... Um, the best place I've ever – well, it was actually just Steve Tyler in Maui at the Civic Center, literally in a lawn chair um, with maybe a 1,000 other people, and he's playing with a local band. That was very cool. Wow. That was very cool. Yeah. Well, we can always try to recreate that if you want. Yeah, but I, I think that we're probably going to be hosting more than a thousand people here. Probably, for our concerts. yeah. No, back in the day, I saw Jimmy Buffett in here. That was pretty cool. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know you were a parrot head. Well, I like the lifestyle. Canadian parrot head. Some, someday I'll hope to get there. <laughs> uh, before we wrap up the edition of the Toddcast, uh, one last uh, appeal for support. The swarm I know is still something that's very much uh, at the front of your efforts here. Yeah, of course, um, we're feeling the we're feeling the pressure financially, um, like everybody else in intercollegiate athletics. Uh, unfortunately, um, a majority of our revenue is tied to being able to host large events, which we're not able to. So, um, support the swarm um, is incredibly important um, for us to close that gap. Uh, as I'm sure most people know, um, we've had to significantly cut budgets, which include recruiting budgets. Um, we're, uh, our, our whole staff is being furloughed um, and, and pretty aggressively. Um, and uh, I think that's a, a credit to our staff knowing that, hey, whatever we got to do to make this thing work, um, they're committed to Georgia Tech Athletics and, and um, and unfortunately, some of the pain they're having to take home with them. Uh, but uh, we can't cut our way to excellence. Um, and we can't cut our way to, to closing the gap either. And so that's where Support the Swarm comes in, because at the end of the day, we want um, this COVID-19 crisis to be a you know, 12-, 18-month problem and not a 5-year to 10-year problem. And so Support the Swarm is what's... Uh, it, it, it is the one lever that we can pull because it's all based on uh, the generosity of our uh, of our alumni, our donors, our fans, and it's not tied to how many tickets we can sell. Um, but uh, I can't uh, express enough how it, how important it is. Our people are rallying. Um, we've um, uh, when I talked to my uh, peers, uh, we're definitely. Um, uh, uh, a, a model of, of philanthropy um, when it comes to our donors and what they do contribute. Um, however, uh, we still need more. And uh, so uh, I, can't, uh, I can't underline enough how important support the swarm is. There you go. Keep supporting the swarm. All the information uh, is on the website. Now, that we wrap up this edition of the Toddcast. Now, your recruitment at Georgia Tech, Steve Spurrier was your recruiter, right? Yes, he was on the staff, and uh, yes, 
Steve Spurrier. Did he go to, to Oakville, Ontario to pay you a visit? He did not come to Oakville, Ontario. Okay. Ken Blair came to Oakville, Ontario, but I did, um, um, when I was on my recruiting visit, not only was Steve Spurrier on that uh, staff, but so was Norm Van Brocklin. That's right. And um, like most kids, I was pretty oblivious to, you know, who these older, you know, former stars were. But my dad, now he was the one getting all the autographs. Oh, Norm Van Brocklin, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. You know, he wanted to fight like every member of the Atlanta Falcons, like media corps one year when he was the coach <laughs> there. <laughs> He wanted to clear out the furniture and challenge every single one of them to a fight. Yeah, Don't get any ideas. There's a few of those Norm Van Rocklin uh, stories floating around here as well. And I'm glad you have one of the more pleasant ones. So that'll wrap up this podcast. Make sure you like, you listen, you subscribe. Thanks so much for tuning in. Look forward to joining you next time, Todd. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. He's Athletic Director Todd Stansberry. I'm Andy Demetra. Happy holidays, everyone. Thanks for listening to the podcast. The Todd Stansbury Podcast is a presentation of RamblinWreck.com. Go Jackets!